what is going on guys so you already know what it is it is me your boy brandon gross and your other boy ryan warner here at design huddle and we are super stoked for a very special guest so before we introduce him we're going to get into a little bit of his background so you guys can have some context so he's built industry defining products for the likes of netflix google facebook huawei twitter the weather channel adobe microsoft British Airways, HP, and 23andMe. And guys, that's the short list. He's a regular host and speaker at international design events such as the Award Conference, Smashing Conference, UX London, as well as speaking at the likes of Google, Microsoft, and Twitter. He's an amazing author and industry writer and has been interviewed by several large media publications on his success, work, and just to name a few of these, Taxi, excuse me, Design Taxi, Fast Company, the Daily Mail, Slate Magazine, NPR, The Next Web, and many more. He works at the amazing global human-centered design firm Fantasy, where he's building pioneering products with the world's brightest. So please, ladies and gentlemen, help us welcome futurist speaker, adventurer, and desert deserted island survivor, the global <laughs> head of product, Let's At go. Fantasy. Let's go. Peter Smart. Oh What's goodness. good? Hi, everyone. How's it going? That was quite the intro. I love the little island reference thrown in at the end there. That's yeah. <laughs> this is a this is a this is a podcast. We do our research here. There's strobe lights <laughs> and there's smoke coming from the stage. I love it. The, we, we don't mess around. I'm running out into the auditorium, high high fiving everybody. What's up, everyone? Hell it. yeah! No, it's great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course. All right, so we have a serious question before we even get get into things, okay. my man. Okay, go for it. So I understand what it's like to have a very interesting last name. <laughs> <laughs> I very much introduce myself as my name is Brandon Gross, as in nasty. You'll never forget it. But Smarty is another thing. I was listening to one of your talks, and I had it's supposed. I already hear. Uh huh. I I, I feel you. There was a name that I was laughing for five minutes straight because I couldn't get over it. Smarty Farty. How does one child defend himself <laughs> no, against goodness. such a name? Yeah, no, I mean, having the name Smart as a kid was, a, yeah, just a, a blessing and a curse, you know? People think you're automatically going to be intelligent, but oh my goodness, yeah, smart, <laughs> Smarty Farty, Smart Ass. No, it was relentless, man. Um, I think now I'm older and you walk into a room and you say your name's Peter Smart, I think it comes with a certain degree of respect, you know? But I, I don't think seven-year-old kids have that same respect. <laughs> yeah, I think, you live, I, think you've, I think you've lived up to the hype, which is, which is good. I don't know. I'm, I'm 27. I will totally take a smart fart. That's like AI of the next level. But anyway, um, we're going to scoot over that. Everybody just <laughs> gloss over that. We're going to get into some real good stuff here with, with Pete. So, yeah, me and Ryan are super excited. And we really just want to chat with you. And we know you do amazing work, but we want to get behind the scenes of the, you know, the intelligence, the your work that you have out there with your team. So we want to roll back the tape on your creative career and just, you know, lay it out for us. Where did you start? Where was like day one for the beginning of your career? So what I'm doing today is awesome, right? I'm, I'm working with this amazing yeah. team. I'm working with incredible companies. And it all seems super glamorous. I think when I first started, it was definitely, definitely not glamorous. I think guys like picture like a 15 year old little kid in a suit and a skateboard 
and a dream like that was me age 15 uh and honestly i think i was just like a kid out of stranger things um and but that little <laughs> that little image is literally me like that is how i started my design career genuinely like i was this artsy stupid little artsy kid and i discovered photoshop uh and i thought i could design and i could make stuff and so honestly like no one would pay me to do anything and so i would just make stuff i would make i would make up businesses and i would make up events so that I could design the logos and the flyers for those events. Um, and they always had like, they always had really stupid names, like Paradigm, <laughs> Paradigm Shift Limited. <laughs> like really, really <laughs> dumb names that I thought sounded really, really cool. Really edgy yeah, like Edgy, edgy names, yeah, yeah. Like literally, I had like, like no experience, but like I was just like super passionate about design. And I remember just being young enough that the world hadn't slapped me around in the face yet that I didn't really care what everyone else thought. And so I literally, I genuinely would put on a suit, like literally like a little businessman, like a little like <laughs> a little entrepreneur. And I would skateboard around my hope town in, uh, in Bonnie, England. Uh, and I would just walk into stores. Um, and on a, I'll tell you the story of my first ever client. Um, if you're interested, the, um, the, the, the first ever... Yeah, the first ever client I had was my local butcher shop. Uh, and I walk into his store and literally my heart is like racing. Uh, and I walk, I walk up to this guy who's literally been in the community for like 15 years. Uh, and I walk up to him and I say in my little like 15 year old voice, like, I don't think you have a very good logo. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I redesign it for you? And he was my first ever client, the butcher, like at my local stores. And I think I just had this, I don't know, like tenacity. Uh, and that's where I began. And I just kept doing that. Uh, and that was me, age 15. And somehow that turned into me running an agency. Somehow that turned into like bigger and bigger clients. And I think that same like childhood exuberance and passion to put my heart into everything just kind of followed me for like every pitch and every project. And yeah, I mean, it led me to do some pretty crazy things. You mentioned, you know, like adventures that I've been on in my time. And I think I just continued to get into like bigger and bigger adventures, bigger and bigger clients. I, um, I did some, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, there's a project, I don't know if you know about it, but it's one that I think really was a bit of a career definer for me where I decided that I wanted to get to know other design studios. I discovered this thing called mm. design thinking for the first time. And I was, my, my mind was blown, like blown by, because I was doing flyers and websites and flash using like macromedia, like that was me. But then discovering this thing called design thinking, where you could use design to solve actual problems for people beyond like creating throwaway yeah. flyers. I just thought everything I'd done to that point felt almost trivial, like unbelievable. So I really wanted to get connected into studios and to people who were like experts in this. And so I thought I had to do something big. Like what, what can I do that's gonna get my name out there and give me an opportunity or a way in to meet these people. And so I decided that I was gonna try and solve 50 problems in 50 days using design thinking and see what I could do. Uh, and so I traveled two and a half thousand miles around Europe and every single day for 50 consecutive days, I tried to solve a human problem using design thinking. And it was like really big things or really, really small things. Uh, and then I met all these amazing design studios, but I put this project up online. And I think that was really yeah. where my career went into that like next phase. You know, I was running an agency through like 15, 16, 17, like I was into like my early twenties. 
and then I, I think I, you know, by doing this project and putting my neck out there a little bit more, it turned into that next phase. But yeah, uh, I hope that sounds like a, an interesting prelude, but you know, obviously many twists and turns uh, since. But you know, here, here today uh, in San Francisco, leasing the amazing Fantasy Interactive, which is just a, a dream, dream role to be in for sure. Yeah, I want to. I, I, that's an awesome overview, uh, Peter. Thanks for thanks for dropping that on us. Um, I design thinking such a critical part. Every, it's kind of it's it's grown into being such an integral part of the design community, especially like whether you're a product designer, a UX designer, or anything in between. One of the one of the first times I ever came across one of your talks was I think it was either awards or another conference, but you gave this incredible presentation about um, the Royal Caribbean, and it's just the it's it, the visuals the like one of like truly one of the best presenters I've seen in a, in, a, in a long time, and the the question I had after watching that is obviously you're using a lot of the design thinking framework, but one of the things that left me with is how did you take Royal Caribbean such like ambitious and like really lofty goal of what they wanted to accomplish and also like bring them back down to earth, but also push the limits. I would just love to hear a little bit more if you have any other like little side tidbits of working with Royal Caribbean and how design thinking helped you be successful there. Yeah. Well, no, first of all, Ryan, thank you so much for the, um, for, yeah, for, for the, <clears throat> for the compliment there. And, um, you know, I, the, the talks I get to to do, I think I find myself just getting so passionate up on stage, not only because of the work that I am proud of myself, but I mean, I'm just so proud of everybody who touched that project. I mean, there was a huge team of people, including myself, but others from Royal Caribbean too. And I, I would say the first, the first thing it took, honestly, to deliver something that big was just the right team. And if you have people in the room who you trust enough to jump in like head first, uh, and to trust each other that no matter how big the challenge is going to be, that we're going to give it everything and roll up our sleeves to get to that end point together, it just makes it a dream. I think that there have been many, many places where we go through like big digital transformation projects. And ultimately, the success of the project are, really does come down to the, to the individuals who are working alongside you on it. Um, but I think your question was really, was really, really insightful because at the end of the day, what we tried to do was huge. Um, for anyone who's listening who maybe hasn't seen that talk or you know, just have any context for Royal Caribbean, they're a cruise company. We um, embarked with them on a digital transformation project to completely reimagine the entire guest experience and the crew experience to really kind of re-digitize the entire organization. We worked alongside some incredible executives there uh, who had all come from Disney um, and they had obviously big aspirations and big hopes for what they were hoping to do. Um, and I think ultimately, to start off with, it was their ambition and drive um, from having kind of been at Disney beforehand that got us most excited. I, mean, I remember walking into that room uh, for the first time and meeting them for the first time. And they said, Pete, if you ever show us a hamburger menu as part of this project, like if you ever come up with something like that conventional, you're fired. And I think at that moment, I just realized that synergy was right there because these are people who wanted to do something big. They want to do something bold, ambitious, and ultimately like human-centered. And so taking it back to design thinking and the role that design thinking plays in something as big and as grand as a digital transformation project, if you can um, really think about a challenge in its entirety, that's one thing. But at the end of the day, it's just about people. 
And it's just about making sure that those people have the best possible experience they could ever have in their lifetimes when they're engaging with the Royal Caribbean brand. And if you can make it that simple, and if you can place them at the very core of everything that you're doing, then it keeps you laser focused because some of the big challenges you'll come up against are decisions. Decisions that you have to make, you have to prioritize, you have to work to a timeline, you've got to choose X technology over Y technology. So coming back to that simple human-centered focus of, well, at the end of the day, our success here isn't on whether we ship it on time. It's whether the person who experiences it comes to life when they experience it. That really does keep you grounded. So that's one thing I would say, um, is that in amongst all the complexity, having a North Star or a vision that everyone has aligned to, to begin with, is so, so helpful. But I don't know if you can resonate with that, Ryan, but that was certainly super helpful for us. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a brilliant um, explanation. Uh, just, I'm just curious, was there anything that um, maybe when you guys early days, maybe it was just, you know, sticky notes and a whiteboard, like a pie in the sky idea that actually never ended up making, making it into the final product? Gosh, I mean, <laughs> these guys are so ambitious that I don't want to ruin the surprise for many of the things that are still coming. Like everything. Yeah, everything that's that the thing, right? It's that, like the yeah, ideas you can't make in the, <laughs> yeah. They're still, so funny. Yeah, I think unlike many of our partners where you can have these big, bold, ambitious ideas, but you kind of know that some of them are never going to see the light of day. Honestly, with the Royal Caribbean guys, they're so driven. I wouldn't be surprised if every single one of them like, comes to be. Like, we, we literally made Uber for mojitos. Like, that's just unbelievable. Like, someone will bring you a drink wherever <laughs> <Yeah>. you are <laughs> on that ship. Like, that's insane. Like, the, the feeling when someone brings you that is just unbelievable. So, you know, I have no doubt, no, no doubt that these, these guys are going to continue to do incredible, incredible things. Um, but, yeah, no, very cool. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That was that's, – I, I, and for anybody that hasn't, you know, make sure you – Check out that talk. I think you can find it all over YouTube. And then uh, Peter, uh, uh, Pete on Twitter is just Pete W Smart. So make sure you check him out. Um, and yeah, he's an awesome, awesome follow on Twitter. And he has a ton of great talks that you can find across the web. So just wanted to give that a shout out because that's actually how I organically stumbled across you um, a while back. And it was just a talk that I've always kind of tried to emulate and mirror after because it was very well done. It's great for designers. It's great for business people. It doesn't really matter what your background is. The story that you tell is super, you know, captivating. So I just wanted to give you a shout out more than anything, but Brendan, <laughs> Thanks, Brendan, Brendan, back to you, man. No, that was good. And for those of you guys who are listening, we'll go ahead and put that talk in the, sh the show notes. So, all right, rolling back to, I like how you guys get like technical and nerdy. This is why we have the duo, me and Ryan, because I'm yeah, like the I, feeling. I tend to, and then I tend to go down rabbit holes. holes. Brendan's always like pulling me out. He's like, he's like Ryan, like we've only been talking for like ten minutes, and you're getting into like what features did you cut during? No, that this release? is why we're like, the duo, man. Yeah, this is why we're the duo. Thanks for bringing it back, Brendan. I appreciate it as always, buddy. There always has to be two types of people, my man. All right, so rolling back, we're gonna jump into, we're gonna. Ryan poked some holes. We're going to hop into more of these holes. So I want to go back to the 50 ideas in 50 days and all that traveling you did. And we might even get into that uh, deserted island that you like to talk about. But let's <laughs> sure. I want to talk. <laughs> so let's talk about the 50 ideas in 50 days, because there's a I we talk about about this a lot. The concept of, you know, the early designer trying to get a job with no portfolio and a lot of our advice is to constantly make your own projects and not wait for a client to land in your lap. 
unless you're like what you did when you're 15 years old, you found a butcher. And um, <laughs> if it were me, I'd probably be sweating. I would need to send him an invoice for the amount of sweat in my turtleneck. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so how did you come upon the 50 ideas in 50 days? Why did you start it? And what were the, re- um, what was the result of that? Cause you did mention that was a very big turning point that, uh, in your career. Great, great question. Um, the, I think one of the things that I've always tried to, because I love meeting young designers. I love, I love finding people who are just really early in their career who still have never lost that passion for what it is they do. Like if you can hold on to that into your, like, into your career, into like, you know, the, the 20, 30 years that um, you know, your, your design career is going to have, it is going to be the difference between coming in every day and this being a job versus the thing that you would still do for free. Like I still have that feeling of I would do what I do for free. Like don't tell anyone that. I mean, I, I'm actually aware that I'm now announcing that publicly on a podcast. Uh, but no, seriously, like if you can if you can maintain like that feeling, it is unbelievable. So I, I I love meeting young designers, and the thing that I would always say is, look, realistically you are one of a thousand people um, who is going to try and get a job at any firm anywhere. And that those odds can feel kind of crazy. There is likely a place for you somewhere. But if you want to stand out, you've got to stand out. You've got to um, almost challenge the brief. And I think the brief that people are often given is, hey, create a uh, portfolio, do some personal projects, um, and the, the number of people who are doing that, you can probably imagine the number of people that are going to have very, very similar portfolios to you. So how are you going to stand out? And if you can take a step back and you can challenge the expectations and you can you know, lift your head up a little bit above the crowd, that's an amazing position to be in. And so I think I've always tried to maintain that philosophy and what it is that I do, trying to push the bar a little bit. I love taking risks and just seeing you know, what what I could potentially do to push the boundaries of either my own understanding of design, my own ability to solve problems. And in this case, it was a, it was a combination of all of those things. I was genuinely fascinated in design thinking. And I was genuinely in love with this idea of, well, what can you do with this? Like, what is the limits of design? Because there are some designers who say design will solve the world's problems. And there are some designers who say, like, how arrogant, that's stupid. And I loved that dichotomy. I loved the fact that there was uh, some tension there. But at the same time, I realized that if I could do something big, like 50 problems in 50 days, like that gives me a door to go and have some of those amazing conversations. And so I visited as part of the journey, 12 or maybe 13 of Europe's top design studios. I arranged time to meet with them to seek out their advice and their wisdom on design thinking to get their views to kind Mm. of feed in and so then that became the project. And so I put this um, site up online. Um, every day is a different problem. Some days the, the solutions were great. Some days they sucked. Some days they were just okay. Um, but that the interviews yeah. that I was able to have as well, A, made amazing connections that I still have to this day. Uh, and B, I think it, it gave me something at the end, which back to, like, I think, your original point, Brandon, did give me something that stood out compared to others who were then also kind of trying to get their next job or land their next gig. Uh, And so, yeah, I think that's been something that's been really, really um, impactful in my life and 
would definitely encourage anybody who's thinking about, you know, transitioning to a new job or just starting out in their career. Yeah, do challenge that brief and that expectation and see what you can do to stand out. I got one more thing because I know Ryan, you were about to hop in, but <laughs> I want to know because this is this is I think this is really important. Now that you I or you've mentioned that you arranged time to meet with these top agencies in in Europe, how did you go about that? Because now that we kind of are on this road and the people listening are like, okay, he did X, Y, and Z, but how did you feel when you were writing these emails to these people? Did did you one did you did you look up how to email these type of people? What exactly? What was your uh, thought process of emailing these people, and what did you email these people? Yeah, I don't think there was much science to it, honestly. Uh, again, like I was just a tenacious. I mean, still, I was just a tenacious kid. Like that was that was me. Yeah. So this this idea that you know that there was going to be some formal like some formulaic way of doing it or some kind of formal way of introducing myself, I literally just found email addresses on um, on the websites of these companies. I just told them about what I was doing, the fact that I would I admired them, I would love to meet them, and I think because it had an edge, and I wasn't asking for anything like a job, I was just asking for like fifteen minutes, half an hour, a conversation. And of course, I was saying that I was coming in because I admired the company, and I greatly did. And so I think all in all, it felt like a really good way to make some of those connections. And I think um, I w you would be surprised. Like we've, we've hired people who have just tweeted us. We've hired people who have sent us random emails. Like You'd be surprised where those emails go and who they reach. And I know that we also get a lot of graduates who hit up our email address and you know, our career site. And, um, you know, I do see there are so many people out there hustling and doing their thing, which is awesome, like keep going. But if you can, again, find that edge, find a way in, even if it's just to ask them advice, get some coffee. People hit me up on LinkedIn all the time. And guys, I love replying. Like I genuinely love replying. At the end of every one of my talks, I put my personal cell phone number and my email address up on the screen for everybody there. Honestly, for no other reason than just loving to connect with people and loving to connect with people, especially who are coming to design conferences because they've lost that creative spark. Like they've lost, the reason why they're there is because they're looking, they're lost, they're looking for that next step. They're in a place where maybe you know, they've forgotten that initial passion that they had for design. I love meeting those people, not because I've got great advice, not because I've got like great wisdom, but I think like when you can be surrounded by people who are passionate about what it is they do, like that's where math doesn't make sense anymore. I think that's why like the, I know we're going to come later in this podcast, I'm sure to like, you know, things like lessons and things that I've learned over, over the, over the years. But honestly, like that is the biggest lesson that I've ever learned. I would, I used to be a solo operator, but I used to be someone who, yeah, would you know, put on a suit who would, you know, skateboard down to town ran his own agency, um, you know, traveled the world as like a solo like design consultant. But when you are surrounded by people for whom design is still their passion, when you are surrounded by people who are humble, but yet are so talented, somehow math doesn't make any sense anymore. Because really like one plus one should equal two. Like two people creating mm. a project, like that should be what it is, right? But when you're around those people and you just feel, you yourself feel so inspired to keep going, and they, by your inspiration and your pushing, they too feel inspired. Somehow, like one plus one equals seven. Like it doesn't make any sense. But that's why I love meeting people. And I love connecting with people who are super early on in their career. Because when you're that passionate and when you love what it is that you do, it's not about necessarily like getting advice at that point. It's just about maintaining that passion and then finding your tribe. Like finding the people that are going to sustain that throughout all of your career. Be it like a design team or whatever that might be, you know? 
Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I think like the the takeaway of it, it, no matter how many podcasts you listen to or books you read about like being more productive or building a good team or having a successful business, it's so funny that one theme that you can almost always pull out is investing good people as one theme, and the second theme is surround yourself with passionate people. Those two things, if you have those two elements, chances are you're going to be in good shape to build something successful. So I love that story, Pete. I think it makes total sense. And I think that um, the the other thing that I love there was just the hustle aspect, getting yourself out there, throwing yourself out there, you know, uh, just, you know, the, the, the word I like to use is scrappy, just finding opportunities as much as you can. I, I love that. So I think that's just a great message for everyone. I did want to transition just a sec. So we, we talk a ton on Design Huddle about skill stacking, just like opportunities to constantly be challenging yourself, whether it's a design, you know, strictly in UX, or maybe it's on business, or maybe it's something on marketing. There's a lot of different ways you can skill stack. So how do you know when to like double down on some of your current skills versus like taking the taking a leap and learning new skills? I, I, I think a lot of people struggle with this because the industry is constantly moving. So I'd love to get your take on when to double down on skills and when to take the leap and learn a new skill. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm sure some of your um, your people that you've chatted with on the podcast here have mentioned like frameworks for stuff like this. The, the one which is, of course, very famous is IDEO's um, T-shape uh, for an individual where you do want to have both breadth which is like that the crossbar of the T, imagine in a typographic terms, and that the stem of the T like is your depth. You do really want to, as a designer, um, have an area of design where you're really doubling down, where you're really you're driving your expertise, because that will be the thing that ultimately allows you to produce. But the crossbar of that T, these other skills, the things where you're kind of really broadening your awareness or interest and passion and curiosity, those are the things that feed into it. And so I think there's, there's not really um, an either or. I would say um, it's very, very, very difficult to be a world-class generalist. I will say that. That's incredibly difficult to do. Again, I'm super, super lucky in the sense that I'm working with team members and designers all around the world um, who we've, like, we've handpicked because they are just so good in so many different areas. And I feel so humbled every single day when I work with these people. But I would say they're so rare because it is so difficult to become an expert in every single thing. And I would say, like, find the thing that makes you feel alive. Like, for me, when I first started in my, um, in my career, like, I was really into illustration and like logo design and typography. Like those are the things that I loved. And so I would spend hours and hours and hours doubling down on those skills. But at the same time, if I hadn't had broadened my horizons and like curiously looked around at what else was happening in the industry, I wouldn't have discovered things like After Effects, Flash, design thinking, UX design, like when that wasn't even a word, but it was just becoming a thing. And so I would say even if you have something you're doubling down in today, do keep that curiosity and do keep skilling up because it might lead you into your next career path, something that you're actually more passionate about as you go. Um, but yeah, that, that T-shaped model has helped me a lot uh, in my career uh, and I, I hope will be helpful for others too. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. 
behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Love it. So now that we've, we are on the bright side of things. We've, for the last, what is it, 27 minutes, super nice highlights. We want to, we want to, we're going to fall off the cliff for a second. No, we're playing. <laughs> um, we, <laughs> We would love to know, we want to dig into the challenges, whether that be mental, um, you know, insecurities of, you know, whether you were younger, like what were the biggest, because at every changing point, whether that have been when you were doing your 50-50 challenge or um, when you, during each new phase of your career, what were the biggest challenges for you or the biggest turning points for you? Um, and let's start there. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And I think that is honestly one of the biggest things that I try and contend with when I, I go to design conferences. Uh, I think there's this kind of mysticism of like this guy on a stage that somehow he has it all figured out. And that is definitely not the case. Uh, I would say that there are people who have just you know, found themselves fortunate to work alongside other people who have been fortunate enough to pick up the press and whatever it is, an interest of others like that. That's amazing. But those people are very likely, you know, struggling and also have their own like axe to grind in terms of, you know, trying to work out this thing called design, like trying to find their own way in their career in their industry still. And I would say like, if you know, just kind of taking it back to that like first positive slant of this kid starting out young. I mean, that definitely opens you up to, um, you know, wanting and knowing that, you know, really, if you're putting yourself out there you're putting yourself out there. And that's great when people pick up your stuff and, and they love it and they're interested in it, but also like when the criticism comes or when people don't like what it is you do or they're just at like, you know, they're just agnostic to it. They don't really care about it. Like that equally can be as impactful, if not more so. Um, I remember when I was first like writing design articles and I still feel this way today. People would leave so many nice comments. The design community is amazing. Um, but I remember, I still remember to this day, like the two or three like negative comments that would be put there on my, like my first articles. Why is that? I don't know why that is, but I think I just as a human being, and I'm sure I'm not alone, I, I, I over-index on criticism and I um, therefore like my ears become closed to you know, any kind of positive feedback that might be there. Uh, and I think that that is a really, really important lesson um, for so many people, like in design, it's not as if what we're creating is just like raw materials. We're not in a kind of a factory lineup. We're taking our creative energy and our intelligence and our ideas and the inspiration that we have or whatever else it is, and we're putting it on the page to, you know, for want of a better word, right? And so therefore, like there is this emotional attachment and this sense of, um, you know, somehow part of you is in whatever it is that you produce. And so therefore, being able to separate yourself from work is something that so many designers I know have struggled with. I struggled with early in my career as well. It can mean that um, you know, taking criticism is really, really hard. I certainly found it hard when I was first starting out. But of course, like you learn that at the end of the day, it's not about you. And I think that the big lessons that I had to learn in my career were it's not about you. Like it's not about like your ideas versus others' ideas. It's not about like you being the expert versus versus not. Honestly, like the biggest lesson that I learned early in my career 
was that the best thing you can hope for as a designer is to be a curious idiot. Like if you can master the art of being a curious idiot, you are going to be an exceptional designer because an exceptional designer doesn't have all the answers. In fact, they make a living out of knowing no answers, but they have this curiosity and this drive to discover insights and to ask stupid questions, which sometimes result in surprisingly stupid answers that unlock new insights. And I think if you can posture yourself in that way and learn that lesson early in your career and not strive to be seen as like the number one designer on like Behance or Dribble or any one of these platforms or to be seen as like the, the world leading designer in your firm, those can be traps. Like those can be things that can derail you from actually focusing on what really, really matters, which is it's about the people that you're serving. It's about the, the users that you're creating for and the best possible thing that you can do to create the world's best products and services is just be an idiot. Like just be curious and just try and have empathy for their world and don't assume that you have the answers yet. So yeah, I definitely struggled with that when I was kind of early in my career um, and yeah, lessons that I had to learn. Um, definitely the criticism and, you know, like the like putting yourself out there and putting yourself into your work was all kind of bundled up into it as well. But yeah, man, I mean, it's never an easy road, right? Yeah. yeah. Pete, can you talk a little bit about like uh, along the same lines in terms of like career development? Can you talk a little bit about how you transitioned from being like an individual traveling the world, working with all these companies to being a leader? Like uh, I'd love to hear about like your role at Fantasy, you leading a team. Um, just how, how did you transform from being someone that's really kind of just focused on themselves and just contributing and you're managing your own world and then you're now you're responsible for other people and their well-being and growing a growing a culture so love to hear anything on that it's a great it's a great question because there is no there's no course that sets you up to be a design leader in our industry there is literally only experience and i think that um i found uh, a mentor like midway into my career and if i could change anything about you know my my path it would have been to have found that mentor earlier in my career because their advice and their um, insight, I think, would have changed my life much, much sooner. Because design experience does not equal design leadership. Like, it is, it, they're completely different things. Um, you know, to, to your point, Ryan, like being an individual contributor means that you're someone who is striving to have the, the best insights. You're, just, you're striving to produce the best possible uh, work. But as a design leader, it's a completely different mentality. Um, you're somebody who, you know, you're no longer the originator of the ideas. You're this, you're this facilitator and you're the mission driver and you're in total service of other people and helping them have those ideas. Like you're the, um, you're the mathematician who ultimately is trying to make maths break. Like you're the one who, you know, back to my earlier reference of like, you know, one plus one plus one equaling seven, you're the person who's trying to create the environment for that to happen, for a great output to be produced by, um, by individuals as part of your team. And so that shift in mentality from being the person responsible for the output to um, being the person responsible for others and giving them that environment is a big, big shift. And I wish that there was like a, a, a course uh, or a, um, you know, a, a module that you do like early in your career that teaches you about that. I wish there was, but... The best thing to learn, I think, is just to have a mentor, have others who are ahead of you and try and pick up what you can from them. Love it. And I, I think I couldn't agree more that there's no course, right? A lot of this you're figuring out. I'm sure 
like as you mentioned, you've made mistakes, you've gotten feedback, and you just continually get better. So having that mindset is also like you know so key to success. Yeah, yeah, and I would say like you've got to have real humility. Like there's a wonderful book I would recommend. If I don't know if you into kind of book recommendations, but there's one called um, Leaders Leaders Eat Last. It's uh, Simon Sinek, uh, and I think it really speaks to the the idea of what makes a great leader. Um, they're in the uh, I believe it's the Navy or the like the U.S. military. It is the the person in charge of the um, of that particular division who eats last uh, because his team comes first uh, or her team comes first and that really is the role of a leader. You've got to have incredible humility and you've got to be self-sacrificial to a, to a certain extent. Um, I like to think that you're providing a platform for others to do their career's greatest work. Uh, and yeah, that um, does take burying your own ego uh, and making sure that you are there for others. And so, you know, I like to take this model of leaders eating last into my day-to-day by saying, when I walk into the studio on a Monday morning, the greatest thing I can do is be there for other people. It is to serve them, to be available to them, to answer their questions, to help unblock them. And like, there's a bunch of stuff that I have to do too. Like there is a bunch that you know, comes with like running a like global um, design consultancy, but that's the stuff that waits to the end of the day because my first responsibility is always to the team uh, and making sure that I'm elevating them to the level that allows them to pr- continue to produce the amazing work that fantasy produces. Excellent. So now that we're on the topics of design leaders, and I know in talking about the basically you are running with the vision and you also do talk a lot about vision. So I kind of want to talk, uh, this goes back to we're referencing the talk that we have in the show <laughs> that we're going to have in the show notes. So, so, I want to get into, in this talk, you were talking about how you basically have to run a team and have them match the vision that you're trying to go with. Again, that project with, I forget the name (laughs) of the, uh, my coffee's running out. Guys, the funny thing here is that Pete is now just coming back from Korea. I'm still fainting because I'm just last week came from Adobe Max. And I'm I got still, one like, level. Canting. I'm all the. I'm, so I got one level. Give, like... I'm all the way up. I'm just <laughs> continually crushing it. So no excuses on my end. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. Ryan's holding the table stakes up. Um, yeah. So tell us a little about how you feel others can uphold vision and really just hold their team to creating something great. I know you guys have a saying: um, "You're thirty percent wrong over at Fantasy." So tell us a little about how you hold a team to the biggest vision possible. And I know a lot of things don't see the light of day, but how do you uh, keep everybody to such a high standard? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great, great question. Yeah, the, the, the phrase that we use, a seven out of 10 means you're 30% wrong. Uh, and yeah, we don't say that because we're like, we're high and mighty. It just means that as people and as individuals, like that is not our aspiration to produce seven out of 10 experiences. Our aspiration is to produce the world's best. And again, we, we don't really care about like being the world's number one. Like we are in so many different categories, but that's never been the driving force. We always take it back to why. Like what is the big why? Why every single one of us got into this industry and it is to create things that change people's lives. And when you meet designers, often what you'll hear them say, especially when they're early in their career, is like, what do you want to do with design? Like, what do you want to go and do with this amazing gift, this amazing power that you've now got? And they'll say, I want to go and change people's lives. And I think what I feel so bad about is that I meet designers who then go out into their careers 
and they're in roles where they feel like they've lost that ability and that influence to do so. And what I love to remind people always is number one, like that was the why. That was the why that you got started with. And number two, remind them of the incredible power that they do have in producing experiences that are genuinely going to touch the lives of hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of people on a day-to-day basis. And to contextualize it just for a second, like people are going to use your stuff for like, it's, it's something staggering, like 41% of their waking life, they're going to be in front of a screen. That's an insane amount of life. The stuff that you're making is going to be used by those people and you're actually going to impact them on a day-to-day basis. That is insane. Therefore, what are you going to do with that privilege? Like, what are you going to do with that responsibility? And if you can come back to that why for a second, it allows you then to have a vision. It allows you to say, well, then for those individuals, what must we do? And it then, I think, allows you to ask some of those bigger and bolder questions like, what if we did this for them? What if we did that? Because at the end of the day, every business, the, the, the end result is profit, but only because you have done something in service of other people. And the businesses that are really successful are just the ones who are really, really, really good at doing things in service of others. And so as designers, that is our role. It's this marriage of business need, business um, requirements, but also user need. And so that Royal Caribbean example is another one, but we work with like amazing companies. We're working with Tesla, Netflix, like the, George Lucas right now, 23andMe, like all of these companies, they're amazing, right? But at the end of the day, it's just people. We're just trying to serve these people. And if we can craft a vision around what experience we want to make for these people, again, you can start to make a North Star. And the term that we do like to use is we hate the term MVP. Um, it's, it's a terrible, terrible term. Uh, it, it, it trains you to think about, you know, it's like um, if you're Ferrari, like what's an MVP of a Ferrari? It's like an engine, a chassis and some like wheels and it moves. But that's not, that's not a Ferrari. Like the Ferrari is an experience. It is so much more than just getting something out onto the road. We like to use this term MLP. Like what is a minimum lovable product? And again, if you can focus what it is that you're creating and putting it out into the world on serving people's functional needs, but then also giving to them something that they're not only going to use, but actually benefit from and love, that's when you build affinity. That's when the services and products that you're building somehow transcend the plethora of other competing services, which I'm sure are out there in the industries that everyone is designing for. You've got to make things that connect with people on a more human level. And so, yeah, we, we use that term MLP, and I think it really helps us as we craft, like, what should be part of our vision, like, what is going to be there in this first release. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely difficult to do. Um, I, you know, I don't want to make it sound trivial, but at the same time, these are some of the things that we try and encourage people to think about on a day-to-day basis. I definitely agree with everything you said, and I, I really like how you take the opposite approach to everything in a story or a conversation you have to take a extreme in order for somebody to even listen so i love the you know the opposite opposite side of the spectrum where it's just like you are spending you have a gift you're spending so much time on serving others so why not come out the get out the gate swinging and do something awesome so and guys by the way you should know who you first of all you should know fantasy i've basically plugged all their stuff on my instagram to be honest so you, <laughs> you guys should you, you guys do excellent work you guys 
Um, actually, let's pause. So George Lucas. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm a fan really quick. Sure. You guys, are, you guys are gonna fix the Star Wars uh, series, right? Oh no, no, we're not working no. on Star Wars. No, no, no. He is, he is working on an awesome, awesome new project. Uh, we're super, super privileged to be working directly with him right now. Uh, but we've worked with Steven Spielberg. We worked with the Academy of Motion Pictures. I mean, when you do good work, like your your name gets passed around. We've never had a sales team in twenty years. Like that's that's the that's the real story. Like everything has come down to being like passionate about what we do. Being like and just being super ambitious, and then if you can deliver on that, like people see your stuff. Like, thank you so much, Brandon, for for sharing our stuff. That that is awesome. Like, you're you are our sales team. Uh, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Wow, that is. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> no, uh, no, that is absolutely. Yeah, this is guys. This is the absolute opposite. Because again, I'm very process oriented, and again, I'm very in line of thought of always over delivering. But not having a sales team, because that's a process that you would think or I would think would need in place for at least something to be consistent. But the, I guess the consistency here is that you guys really put your eggs, those eggs that would be in the sales team, all those eggs into really good people who are absolutely talented in creating really good products. So that just goes to show, guys, I'm just uh, brain vomiting here. It doesn't matter where you put your your eggs in the basket. It's just double down on whatever it is so whether that's a skill in terms of what we're talking about here it's you know fantasy skill is producing highly quality products and they're known for that if you're known for it just as you would be known for illustration or i would be known as running my mouth i may not be the best designer but i do sure have a personality um so all right so segueing into what out of all the things, because you just named out a million things on top of what we started off with today, what haven't you done that you would like to touch? I don't know. Uh, I mean, when I, when I was starting out, literally this idea that one day my work like that I had produced would be like in someone's hand was literally insane. I was just so excited by, by this notion. And like to work with the local butcher was like, literally the greatest day of my life and so you can imagine like when you're first starting to work with google and samsung and you know george lucas and the ufc and all these people like i still have that childlike feeling every single time we work with an amazing amazing company but we've worked with companies honestly that we had never heard of and you know, to a certain extent like you know you might not hear about for the next like year or so because they're still so young but i think what we're really really drawn to and certainly what i'm really drawn to is ambition like people who want to do something big in the world for whom like seven out of 10 like isn't good enough. They want to produce something that is going to drive like real growth for their business, real impact, going to transform an industry. And so when we started working with 23andMe, who are this um, medical company here in the States, um, I don't know if, you know, um, the listeners here will, will have heard of them. I'm, I'm sure many of them will. No one had heard of 23andMe. Um, they were a, a fantastic product, but they hadn't become mass market yet and the privilege there was it's not about the brand it wasn't about like the name it was just the level of ambition and the the real kind of human-centered focus that we experienced when we met that team was just absolutely addictive and i think that that's what i long for every single day is to be around people be it the team at fantasy or the partners that we work with 
who are just so passionately in love with doing something impactful in the world that it just makes you want to be better. Like it reminds you every day of why it is you're even doing what you're doing. So it doesn't really matter to me if it's like Nike tomorrow, if it's like Adidas, like it doesn't, at this point, like the brand name doesn't really matter. I just love, I just- <laughs> Your list is already too long. Yeah, like it, it, it's, it's the opportunity and it, it's, the, it's the, the big dream of what it is we're going to create together. Um, but hey, like, you know, we work with, um, with Elon Musk and maybe one day SpaceX, that would be pretty cool. That would be awesome. Coloni- <laughs> colonizing Mars with fantasy. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> no, I really do appreciate that. So th- there's not like a specific technology that you want to touch, like something in AR. There's not like, ooh, that's the new technology I want to get my hands on. So technology-wise, from a big idea, yeah. I got you. From like, I just want to make cool shit. But is there something that you haven't touched? I know your your work is very diverse. Mm, yeah. Is there something you want to touch a little bit more on? Or you're just like, the technology's not there yet. But as soon as it is... We going in. Oh, that's great. I mean, I thought this way for so long around like autonomous vehicles and like AI, machine learning. Right now, we're working in all of these spaces, which is honestly amazing. I do feel like on days that I'm in some kind of Tom Hanks sci-fi movie, um, you know, right now we're working with loads of like automotive companies on autonomous vehicles, which is insane. We're, we're working with big operating system companies on artificially intelligent driven operating systems. Like one of my favorite films a few years ago was this movie, Her, um, with Joaquin Phoenix and, and Scarlett Johansson. It's an incredible, incredible film and it's so well conceived. And as a designer, it's just an amazing uh, movie to uh, see someone's vision for the future of human computer interaction. It's insane. So when that first came out, I was so, so excited that one day I would maybe have that opportunity to do that. And yeah, today we are, and and that is fantastic. Um, Honestly, I think when I will be most excited is when we can solve things like conferencing systems and we can work with holograms and kind of, you know, transport our like physical presence into other places, not just doing it in AR um, or virtual reality. That would be pretty insane. Like when the technology is there for that, like I would love, love, love to design those kind of experiences, like the haptics around that, like actually making it feel like you're in place in a different um, part of the universe or space. Like that would be pretty insane for sure. Please do. I would love to not leave my room. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just watched a, a YouTube video of a guy wearing a VR headset for a week straight. Very interesting. I will also put that in the show notes. No, I'm playing. Um, but it was very interesting. So what were the insights? Well, how did he find it? He said he felt like his room was a spaceship and he had no contact with anybody. And for entertainment, he basically I forget even the video game. He basically attended yoga sessions in VR. And uh, yeah, he said it was very disturbing. He felt very he couldn't he lost all track of time. Um, but he didn't really have like a, a, a very extreme feeling about it. He just felt very isolated. Yeah. But he also he felt like he could control his emotions a lot better. So like he was pissed or whatever. He could put himself in like a nice solitude <laughs> environment and like put on some nice soft music. Really? Uh, so it was interesting. He brought, I think at the end of the video, he brought a, it was very good for like therapeutic. Yeah. Fascinating. Really, really fascinating. Sort of, there you yeah. go. Uh, I would love to chat with so, that guy. Yeah. I wonder what it was like when he came out. That's probably a video we have to watch. Yeah, for sure. But one last question to end it off. If your child decided to go into design or whatever whatever it is, what would you tell them as they were learning, falling, failing? How would you encourage them to keep doing what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely uh, 
always want the best for my son, right? I, I, I genuinely want um, the best for so many young designers who are coming out of school or just kind of really early in their career because, I mean, we've all been there. That's the one thing that everyone in this industry has in common is that when we were first starting out, having somebody to like reach out to and seek advice from was huge. It was absolutely unbelievable. And so I would say to, to him and to anybody else who is kind of just starting out, finding others who are a little bit further ahead than you can be so life-changing. And when I say further ahead than you, I mean, yeah, try and target the CEO or like the, the global head of product or whoever like from a company. Like you might, you might struggle a little bit, um, but like you can even find people who are just an, who are an intern or who are junior or who are an intermediate at a, at a company, in a product company, in a startup, in, a, in an agency or a product team or whatever it might be. Um, and just take them out for coffee. Like be somebody who likes making connections like early in your career because when you can make those connections and actually experience things in real terms, like outside the classroom, um, you know, outside of an environment where you know, things are theory, but actually in the real like nitty gritty of, of real life and actually find out what that's all about and learn from those people, it is invaluable. Uh, I would definitely say that experience beats theory. There is so much that I learn and that many people will continue to learn when they go to design school. Uh, there's amazing courses that are out there. Um, you know, everything from like AIGA courses through to, you know, Skillshare courses online. Like they're fantastic, but nothing is going to beat the like real world hands-on experience. Um, those classes are fantastic for doubling down on your craft, like learning the intricacies of typography. That's where you want to, like, if I was telling my son, like, I would say, like, practice, practice, practice your craft. Drill down, as um, Brian, you were mentioning, like, drill down into the things that you are passionate about and just try and become the best at whatever it is that you do, whatever that craft is, be it user research, uh, be it like, ethnographic studies, be it, like, illustration, typography, like, motion design, whatever that is. Like, drill down and practice that. Find, you know, things that you can try and emulate and try and work out how they did it so you can learn some of those skills. Um, but at the same time, the craft and the practice is only going to get you so far. Like putting that craft and that practice into a real world environment is going to teach you huge amounts. So yeah, find people who are ahead of you, seek out those opportunities, see if you can you know, get some of those real world experiences and don't, um, don't like jump and like hold on to one thing really early in your career. There are so many different paths and, and ways that design can take you. You will be so surprised where you've ended up in five years. Um, no one can really predict it. So if it doesn't work out and you end up in a job that you're not loving for the first year, don't panic, don't worry about it. Like you will find your way, you will find those people, you will make those connections uh, and you will work your, your way towards something where you feel a, super happy, but then B, really surprised because there is no path. There is no like one way of doing this. And that I think, again, is the, is the common thing when you meet designers. Everyone has come from a different background. Nobody has this figured out. Everyone's kind of looking ahead and trying to work out, hey, how can I be better? Uh, and that never, never leaves you. So no, keep going would be my advice. Love it. I can't say it any better. So we're going to end it right there. Thank you, Peter, so much. And in closing, where can the people find you? Where do you want them to look? 
and we'll close it out there. Sure. Well, obviously, go and check out the work. Uh, if you don't know fantasy, over at fantasy.co, you can you know come and, and um, chat with with me anytime. I'm over at Pete W Smart on Instagram and Twitter and all those kind of places. So, no, I would love I would love to um, chat with anybody, any one of these listeners out here who is thinking about their next step. And I would love to provide you know anything that I can to help you guys out. And yeah, Brandon Ryan, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You guys do amazing work. You are such um, phenomenal hosts as well. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Design Huddle is a podcast that is hosted by Ryan Warner and Brendan Gross. The opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company. Thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode.